We were a little under a million dollars in annual revenue, uh, and now we're inching closer to $70 million, and that is within just under under seven years. And a big piece of that has been um, quickly spinning up our sales team. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, having me. Um, you can tell we're sort of in the sales room. Everybody, all the cool kids are in the back, and no one wants to sit up front. <laughs> but uh, today, we're going to talk about growing pipeline um, and a lot of the things that, that we've put into practice and how we've been able to scale our sales team, our account-based marketing plan, our account-based selling plan, uh, some of the things that we've learned that have been successful. Uh, we'll talk about some of the things that, that we did wrong, and I encourage you not to follow that path. Um, and that's really one of the big things. So if you don't know about me, uh, as Sonny mentioned before, Discover Org, I, I did spend a lot of time on the golf course. Um, but since then, uh, I've been a part of, of, a, of a company that when I started, there was about 12 to 15 of us. We were a little under a million dollars in annual revenue. Uh, and now we're inching closer to $70 million. And that is within just under, under seven years. And a big piece of that has been um, quickly spinning up our sales team. Um, and the marketing team has gotten far more advanced. We used to be extremely reliant on, on inbound leads, and that was the, the sole way that we were growing the business. We knew we sort of had to hit this inflection point and make this transition. And so one of the nice things in the position that I'm in and in the space that we play in is that I get to see what you know, the heads of sales and chief revenue officers and, and CMOs and the CEOs of you know, industry stalwarts like Google and Intel and IBM are doing but also we work with you know, 2,300 other companies and a lot of these are fast up and coming companies. And so we can see what, what they're putting into practice. And that's probably still my favorite part of, of this role is being able to learn what everybody else is doing, take that, implement it into a strategy that, that we can use and then also that we can teach um, our customers and, and how you guys can, can grow. Um, so if you don't know about Discover.org, and this is sort of the shameless plug, and then I'm going to try and stay away from who we are, what we do. But before you get this ABM plan or this you know, account-based selling strategy into place, I can't stress enough that the biggest piece of the puzzle in order to get this off the ground effectively is data. Good, clean, accurate intelligence that's actionable. Because if you don't have that, literally everything else in the stack falls apart. Um, when you think about you know, the analytics and your reporting or your lead scoring models or the messaging you want to put together and your content or you've spun up a dialer for your sales team or you've got this great marketing automation and you've invested in these really expensive CRMs, what you've done is, is you've gone out and bought all of these expensive tools and best of breed technologies and you've got this fancy race car, but now you're just low quality fuel and that's the biggest, uh, the biggest hurdle that, that I tend to see is that too often, most people look at data as a commodity. Uh, what we have is good enough. Or, you know, we can get there, we'll build it ourselves. Or let's just go out. We've spent so much on all of these other things. 
I don't have much budget left. Let me go find the cheapest data provider that can give me millions of records and, and that'll uh, suffice. So what we've done and what DiscoverOrg does for our customers and the reason why we're an integral part of their success is we've got over 200 researchers that call into over 60,000 organizations globally. We track more than a million contacts and we do all of that by hand. We don't rely on technology. We don't rely on crowdsourcing. We don't rely on user-generated content. So when you think of us, we're sort of this massively scaled inside sales development team that's doing all of the legwork that your salespeople are probably typically doing already. Gartner found it's about 67% of their day. And so we've eliminated all that. And now you can put together very direct, very targeted messaging so that when you put together this whole process, um, you've got a really good foundation. So if there's one takeaway from this whole thing, hopefully there's a few more, but this is a big one. Um, and, and everything else just sort of falls apart if you don't have the quality data, because it's the one thing that touches every other piece in your stack. So um, next here, where we need to get started is marketing. And I know this, this whole session is really geared around ABM, a lot of the other sessions. And so we'll talk about it a little bit up front, because a really big piece, once you've got data is, do you have the alignment? Uh, and that is crucial. If you don't have everybody agreeing on the same things and you're not all speaking the same language and you're not all working towards the same goals and marketing hasn't gotten buy-in from sales and sales hasn't gotten the buy-in they need from the marketing team, then again, everything starts to fall apart. So here's sort of what we've built um, and how marketing works from us. We, we capture the lead, that's our known, then we move it into marketing engaged. This is when marketing team starts to, to nurture them. Hopefully they hit a certain threshold at that point where marketing qualified. And one of the big iterations that we've made uh, recently is really divvying out sort of the very bottom half of the traditional funnel. It used to just go from MQL to SQL and it would go directly to an account executive. And there was a lot of time spent on leads that were really pretty poor that weren't ready yet. So we broke it into three stages. So the first is SEL. So that's our, our sales engage lead. This is now in the hands of the sales development team. This is marketing is done nurturing them or they're sort of a hand raiser that's got enough interest that it's worth a conversation by someone on my team. So whether it's my inbound or outbound team, that's the sales engage lead. Then once they've sort of qualified them and they've set an appointment and, and are ready to make the pass off to the account executive. We now consider it sales accepted. So our account executives are, are agreeing to work it. And then once we find that there's a quality opportunity where we're going to actually create an opportunity in Salesforce, at that point, it's sales qualified. And so that's how it works all the way down through the funnel. And then again, at the sales process, after that sales qualified, that's where the account executive works it start to finish. Hopefully, we win the opportunity. But even if we don't, we've gleaned sort of enough intelligence and enough insight into challenges and problems and what's in their stack and what we can offer them that we then pump that back into marketing. So if they weren't quite ready or we lost it to a competitor, now we can start to send them on these other tracks and still be very account-focused. We have a lot of great content specifically for them because we went through this cycle. The next piece was trying to define you know, are all leads equal? And they're not. And how do we break those things down? You know, what's more important? I know it's a, a little tough. Um, See, so yeah, I tried to make it as big as, as I could here uh, without losing some of the content, but we bro basically broke it down into sort of six segments. 
We've got our hand raisers. So these are people that are requesting demos. They're contacting us. They're requesting a free sample. Uh, and these are going directly to our inbound team. So we've created, which we'll talk about uh, next slide, our inbound sales reps. They're working them sort of a very round robin fashion. If it's not already a customer, um, they then work it, look to get the appointment. Um, the next piece is events. Uh, these are things like this. Any leads that we get from here, we're going to give those to our outbound sales team, sort of warmish. They're working off a named account basis, and that's how we define those. Uh, same thing for triggers. So we're looking for buying intent, any actionable insight, uh, any leadership changes. There was a study done that found that when a new leader takes a position, on average, within the first six months, they spearhead three to four projects spend 70% of their available budget. So those understanding those leadership moves are really, really important. We want to get them in the hands of an, of an outbound SDR that can go chase and have the bandwidth to take after them. The last three warm MQLs. So those are sort of very similar to what we just talked about. They're getting to a threshold. They're going to the outbound team. We've got referrals, again, going to the outbound. And then anybody else that's reaching out to us via in email, uh, those are going back into our inbound team. Now, this was the big mistake that we made. So when we first tried to do an account-based marketing and selling strategy in earnest, the mistake that we made right up front was we didn't delineate the team. We spent all of this time and effort hiring these A players, and we brought them on board and we trained them. We dropped a bunch of accounts on their desk and said, we want you to go after these, but you also have to work the inbound leads that are coming in. So now all of a sudden they didn't know where to focus their time. We've got A players and we turned them into C plus and B players at two different tasks. And so what we did was we created a specialization. So the inbound team works everything that comes inbound through the site, email, hand raisers, pretty self-explanatory. But what it really enabled us to do was have uh, a lot more um, accountability and a centralized focus. So one of the pieces was the inbound team has to be able to respond to these leads within five minutes. If they don't act on it within five minutes, your chance of conversion drops off a cliff. And it, once you hit an hour, you have, it's extremely minimal. So our SLA is five minutes for them to respond to. If they don't pick up the phone and call them within five minutes and change that status, we have an automatic sort of escalation process where their manager gets notified that person gets logged out of their dialer and it goes to the next person that's in the queue. So we wanna make sure that we, we are able to, to get in front of these leads really, really quickly because typically if it's an inbound lead and you've got a hand raiser, there's a reason why they're doing that. So we don't want to, those to, to drop off. The other big piece of, of putting after we made the delineation was getting the processes in place. And sort of that little box in red um, where it's highlighted there, that's really where the rubber meets the road for us um, in terms of, of, of tech stack. I know it's, again, tough, tough to see, but yeah, so there's a red outline here. Um, it's where Salesforce, Outreach, and our dialing platform, FrontSpin, all come together. And we tied all of these things together so that that process can be really, really quick. And we, we learned this from a couple of our customers. And so what happens is when the lead comes inbound, from Captured in Marketo immediately goes to Salesforce. One of the things that we also noticed was there's this was like this four-minute wait step from Marketo to Salesforce. So we were losing uh, time there and we didn't even realize it. So we got it into Salesforce quicker. 
We also immediately sync it to an outreach sequence um, so that it's not dependent on the sales rep themselves to actively put that person in the the sequence. And this is why we sort of built that escalation process because no matter what, they're going to get an email pretty soon. And then we've also tied in Frontspin, which is, it's scary how fast uh, they update things automatically in Salesforce when you dial it. Um, So that was the big sort of tech stack enhancement that really enabled us to to do a lot of um, these processes. Because if you're not first, you're last. That doesn't ring truer in any other industry or any other line of business than it does in sales. You know, in sales, if you miss out or you lose the opportunity, it's not like golf where you're coming away with a big fat check because you came in second or third or fourth. You've got no revenue to tie to that opportunity. And 74% of the time, the vendor that gets in front of the opportunity first, provides some value, wins the business. So that's why it's really important from the inbound team, but it's also really important for the outbound team with those triggers that we were talking about. And it's one of the big pieces that our marketing team sources manually for our team, but we also have intelligence from our own platform uncovering those things. So what we've seen in doing this is we've, we've seen an increase since we implemented this in earnest. Um, and it's right after sort of that big downfall you see there in June and July is when we, we put this process into place. Since then, we've had 12 weeks of record performance. We've increased our conversion rate by about 12% on average, 12 points on average, and it continues to rise. So now that we've got the inbound team all separated, um, we got that focus. The big piece here was how do we put together an account-based strategy that's effective? And again, it went to the people. Um, Before we could implement processes, we had to build the team properly because when we found that we were just sort of throwing accounts at them and they didn't have the role specialized and they weren't tied directly to an account executive directly, we had all of these false starts. The outbound team would work this account and they knew some decent insight into the account. They got some interest generated, but then they would sort of pass it to different account executives because we really had no ownership. And so they couldn't continue all that momentum. From there, once we got our pairings down, we created uh, a few different teams. We have a tier one team. These are all of our major accounts. This is the cream of the crop prospects. The second team is our mid-market. The third is SME. It's really everything else, all of our smaller accounts. From there, we had to decide you know, how, who fits into what bucket. And this is where you sort of build your ideal customer profile. And again, it's a lot of hard work, uh, but it's time really, really well spent. But it's really difficult to do if you don't have the data. So some of the things to, to keep in mind as you, as you do this you know, your account size to the organizations. I know some of these are basic company type. Um, if you have any fit scoring, one of the things that we looked at that I'm not sure if most people do was the level of activity on these accounts. Because the SDRs, they're really on the front lines and they're doing a lot of that qualification. So one of the biggest metrics for us, and we're sort of teaching customers is look at your past opportunities. Have you had a lot of opportunities within that account? Have you had a lot of activity within the last 60 days? Because if a sales rep is going to spend time constantly emailing and calling into these accounts, chances are it's going to be a really good fit. So if you don't have those predictive scoring models, if you haven't built any sort of fit scoring yourself manually, which is something our our SDRs do month in and month out, we give them a bunch of accounts, they score them one to five, and then those next things get built out. Ones are best, fives are worse. So those are a few of the things that we track really, really closely and are really important to our scoring model. 
activity, number of opportunities prior, uh, and the, as well as our, our buy fit score. Then the other thing you have to think about is, is who get what's, what accounts. One of the, the big concerns that came up was, well, I already have 400 accounts in my name. Now you're just going to give me 100. This was frankly sort of my big concern implementing a, an account-based strategy to begin with is if I'm going to focus on and, and continue to hit the metrics that we're trying to hit in the growth strategy, you're telling me I, can focus, I have to focus on a, a smaller number of account and I'm going to be able to grow pipeline? That was really, really scary. Um, but by being really focused and by having the right insight, ultimately it's, it's turned out really, really well, which we'll see in a bit. Now, once you've got your accounts, you've got your team set up, um, this is sort of where rubber meets the road is how do you actually start to, to put a process to go after these accounts? And so you can buy it or you can try and build it internally. And it is significantly cheaper to buy it. This is where we ran into trouble. And this is the, the problem that we solve for our customers every single day. We literally drop org charts on their desk on who they need to sell to and direct dials and verified emails and what technologies they're using and projects they have. But we didn't have that for ourselves. And there was no good data source for us to go identify who the sales and marketing leaders are at tech firms. So we went to our CEO and said, we need to expand the research team and we need to build a sales data set. And we had to build this whole business case and it's going to cost us about $500,000 to do every single year because we need nine researchers to build out 8,000 accounts that we've identified. We need two QA people to constantly maintain and update this data. We need a manager to make sure that they're hitting metrics and they're getting this data filtered out properly for us. So we automated the whole process in that we've got the SDR scoring those accounts. Those accounts get shipped over to the research team. Then we've built a process so that the SDRs get notified as soon as that account gets profiled out. They're tasked with then finding the key contacts. From there, those key contacts go into the dialing platform. They go into our outreach sequence. And all of this is systemically sort of fed. And again, this is one of the big pieces that, that we can help customers with. And what we've seen is now they don't have to do that whole manual process. They can take a list of accounts, pump it into the system, look for the right titles, look for the right technologies, and then from there, get it back into your stack. Once we've got all the key contacts, uh, this is where your messaging becomes really, really important. And we shifted a lot of the, the marketing messaging into the hands of the sales development team. So we put together a whole series of, of multi-level messaging. So obviously, if I want to speak with, in this case, Wells Fargo, for my particular product, I want to talk to the sales rep about how I'm going to be able to help them get more opportunities in their pipeline, and I'm going to help them close more business, and they're going to get more quota or hit quota, and they're going to be the next president club rep, and they can make more money. And I want to talk to the sales development manager about how now his team can make 100 dials to the right people instead of 100 dials where 50 of them are no longer valid, 25 of them are the right accounts, and 25 were who knows what. So we want to have sort of all of that messaging in place, and that's where marketing and sales really need to be aligned again to make sure you're telling a consistent story all the way across the board. This is an example um, from the Topo case study where they focused on Cloudera and how they've put together an account-based selling strategy with their marketing team. The example of the email was taken directly from our webinar series, but some of the key things that they're doing, they're looking for companies that are using a specific technology, Hadoop. Uh, they've identified accounts 
um, that are similar to their ideal customer profile. So in this case, uh, they were chasing Chase Bank and Wells Fargo as a customer. So the subject of the, the message was how Wells Fargo uses big data. And then they didn't ask for, they really didn't ask for a meeting and they really didn't pitch the product. The messaging was, you know, hey, we work with some of the largest financial institutions that have Hadoop deployed. Uh, we noticed that you're one of those and we work with a lot of similar accounts. Then from there, you may find our work on how we've helped, again, Wells Fargo do X, Y, and Z. Thought you might be interested. Do you have 10 minutes to discuss further? So no product, no sort of pieces other than just here's some value for the organization. And you need to have all of those different levels of persona and the story told because according to CEB, nearly five and a half people are involved in every purchasing decision. And so if you're single-threaded and you're only working on one or two of those people, then you're in a really tough spot to win the account and win it effectively. Where we're going, and we actually learned this from uh, a customer, uh, they're now a customer, they were a prospect of ours, and we became a prospect of theirs because we were sort of doing some interesting stuff on their website, and it was something that we never really thought of, but it's really sort of pretty simple and ingenious, is that we tied our inbound team and our outbound team back together at the hip, focused on named accounts. When an inbound lead comes in, normally that goes directly to the inbound sales rep, well, now we have a process uh, sort of put into play where it checks to see if that account has an open opportunity and if that's a named account. An alert gets triggered so that our SDRs now say, hey, look, the product marketing person at XYZ just filled out a form. Let's go get the CMO, the VP of digital marketing, and the head of sales at this organization, and let's send them a very specific message. Hey, we noticed some interest on your site today from your organization your role as blank, I think we can help you here. Do you have a few minutes to discuss? It seems like there's a clear need. So that's um, some of the new things that we're, we're implementing so that we're not single-threaded. Now we're looking to uncover all of those key four or five people in the decision-making process far earlier. Some of the results that we've seen since we've input this. So we saw the inbound results. Now, if we look at the outbound results, uh, and again, this is where I was really skeptical, although inbound as I mentioned up front, was our biggest revenue channel. Since we've put this together in July and really focused on this, two of the last four months, the outbound team is now our largest producer of revenue, month in and month out. So by being really focused, by being really specialized, by optimizing the stack, by optimizing the teams, we're able to be far more effective and focused. Not only that, we've actually increased the number of demos that are getting on the books. So our opportunities are growing, and I'm now nearly getting to the point where I know that I need to scale my account executives now because my SDRs are humming along. They're getting more opportunities, and I'm quickly going to sort of hit this inflection point where we're just not going to be very effective at closing because the account executives are working too long or too many opportunities. So this is where we started to get some really deep insight that, number one, we've proven this method is scalable. Number two, now I need to know, I know that I need to grow my, my account executive staff. And one of the last pieces here is that this doesn't end at the SDR team. It continues on into the account executives as well. So marketing did all this front, upfront work around identifying the, the targets. The SDR did all this upfront work to understand they're a really good fit and they're qualified. But now it's on the AEs to, to continue that momentum. So one of the things that we do is as soon as that meeting gets set, an automatic survey goes out to the prospect before the meeting, the day before. 
hey, looking forward to meet you. Here's a quick reminder of what we're talking about. And if you have five minutes, would you mind filling this stuff out? And the survey is any of those data points that are really important to us as sellers, but can provide a lot of value for them as customers if we know up front. So it allows us to tailor our, our demos far more. So it's not this generic piece. It's also a gentle ask so that they show up for the meeting because they feel bound to it. We've actually seen when those folks fill out the survey, our show rate is 85%. That's nearly 15 to 20 points higher than, than some of the other ones. So that's been a big win for us. Um, and not only that, we've, we've made sure that all of this survey data stays automated, gets directly tied to the account so that eventually, knock on wood, when the account executives wins the deal, all of that data is systemically fed over the customer success team so that they're not asking the same questions. So again, it's not entirely dependent on your sales reps who are notoriously poor at putting notes and, and data in Salesforce or in CRM where it should be. Now all of this data is there for them. We don't lose anything on the handoff so that we can keep that account focus all the way through. So here's a few recap, a quick recap on some of the things that we found um, that you should do, some of the things that you shouldn't do. You guys can see them here, but obviously the whole flip the funnel mentality is, is staying away from the, the spray and pray approach. Stay away from the product zone as long as you can. You know, pitch value for them and different opportunities, uh, especially when your, your SDRs are cold calling them. Um, but the one piece, as I mentioned earlier, it's really difficult to do, and I encourage you not to give up. It does pay off in the long run, and it is a lot of hard work. I mean, you have to have your team built out. You've got to align those processes. You've got to have the methodology put into place. You've got to have really good data to be able to do this stuff effectively. But if you can put those building blocks in place, they'll all pay off in the long run. So that's my time. So uh, questions for me. Um, so I keep in all these um, sessions today, it's great, the customization, et cetera. But that tailors to a much larger piece. So what would you recommend in a situation where you may have a marketing team that also serves as the SDR team, as the research team? And really, there's only two practitioners who do that portion. Yeah. So, because I'm, I'm curious, that seems like that's the one thing I'm not getting here is what you do, especially for the one-to-one marketing Yeah, but I think at that point, that's really where the data becomes paramount because you don't have you don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the manpower to sort of do this at scale. And you may not have yet invested in the technology, so it can be a very manual process. We did this a little bit. You know, when I started, there was myself and one other sales rep, and uh, we've built the SDR team. That was sort of a new venture for us. We've scaled it up to 17. So yes, we are far more sophisticated than we were before. But even back then, we built, um, we used, I think we used like Infusionsoft at the time, but we also just did our own mail mergers through Outlook and Excel. And so we had and it sounds terrible, uh, but we had the ability for myself and my colleague to have our Excel spreadsheet. We had our key company names, and then we just put sort of the fields, the columns that were really important. If they use this CRM, this is a good identifier for us. If they're this title, we want to make sure of that. So then we could run our mail merge campaigns that were still very one-to-one. -one. It wasn't as time-intensive. So that when, as I was making a sales development call, I was sort of asking these things, typing it in, and then off hours, I spent a lot of my time Saturday when my wife was working and I was watching college football. 
doing my research to find out, well, who are the other contacts that I can go after this account? So they'll have to put in more time off outside of work to do it effectively, at least in my opinion, because you probably are wearing a lot of hats. But really it stems from, do you have the right data? Can you have a basic infrastructure so that you can still be one-to-one on a, on a number of accounts and be really personalized? Yeah, I really think that, that you, that you um, nailed, nailed it right there because like you said, um, by having, a bunch, by having a sophisticated process with a, with a bunch of, of, of complexities in there, it kind of puts a moat around your business because chances are your competitors can't, they can't copycat you because they are going to put the legwork leg in that, that you did um, to go ahead and get those accounts. But the other thing is, like a lot of the presenters today, they were still going through the beta phase of seeing, you know, inbound versus outbound with the revenue you know, what was, was there and justified the time and investment to go ahead and go with, with more of an outbound model. You, you have that data, and how were you able to get that data to show that the revenues were increased using an APM strategy versus a traditional inbound strategy? Is it because your sales cycle was shorter, your buying cycle was shorter, or have you just been doing it longer than everybody else and still didn't have that, that unquantified um, yeah, a little bit of it, it's, it's sort of tracking everything. You have to have sort of the insight on all of that. We knew in order for us to continue to hit the growth goals, we have really lofty goals in front of us. And we knew we just, it's not sustainable. Every company in the world, no matter how great it seems, and we were one of these, that we were drinking from a fire hose. We had so many people coming inbound, but we... we we started to see a little bit of those things taper off. So number of leads, um, number of demos that were getting on the books, number of appointments that were being set. We're sort of tracking it all the way through and tying those different attributes to inbound versus outbound. So we knew we had to start scaling outbound. And really the time to do it, it sounds counterintuitive, but the time to do it is when inbound is doing really well. Because if you wait too long and inbound falls off the cliff and now you start to do outbound for the first time, you're sort of going to be playing behind the eight ball. And there's going to be this big gap where you're going to have a lot of these external pressures. Hey, we need to grow revenue. We're not getting the number of opportunities in, in place. And if you haven't sort of started thinking about outbound, and it is a process, it's going to take you significantly longer and you're going to have this sort of big valley that, that you want to stay away from. That's one of the things actually I've heard a couple of times in this organization or at this conference is one, I've heard it a couple of times where they, they scaled up their SDR team too fast. Like that's... You, if, you, if you don't have the data to justify bringing on other more reps, like, I wouldn't do it. We, were, I mean, we, we hired pretty slowly on the sales development team because we didn't want to get to this point where we've got so many sales development reps and I don't have enough to feed them. Or I've got so many account executives and again, I don't have enough to feed them. So it, it is this delicate balance. Is we were up to four inbound, five inbound now. We started with Again, four hybrid reps that were doing inbound and outbound. And then we sort of delineated the team to just two inbound, two outbound. And then we've scaled those things accordingly. We're seeing a, a number of inbound come back in. So we've got it up to four. But really, because of the things that we're seeing on outbound, we're able to scale that a lot quicker. And now I've got 17 outbound SDRs. Do you plan on keeping both inbound and outbound? Yes. Yeah, I'll always keep that separate. And the inbound now is actually proving to be a really good training ground for SDRs coming in. When I hire a new SDR, they start on the inbound team 
It's an easy, people are interested, so it's easy for them to get the, the pitch down and prevent some, provide some value and get sort of questions. And then as they start you know, exceeding metrics there, that's when, if the need arises, we move them to the outbound team and they start on the SME outbound team. So our really small accounts, they're lower dollar value. Um, it's not as complex of a sales cycle. So they start there, you know, they prove their metal there. Again, they start exceeding metrics. Then we move them up to the tier one and tier two accounts. How are they bonus? Yeah. Uh, so the inbounds are compensated off of, they get paid uh, per meeting set. It's a lower dollar value. Um, the other piece, they're bonused off of uh, team conversion rate. So that was one of the things that we looked at, that uptick. Uh, we set the threshold back then at 30%. Now we're inching it up to 33% because we've seen, hey, you guys can do it. We just didn't give you the right tools. Um, so now they've got that and they're, they're exceeding those. So that's one of the other things we bonus them off of. Outbound reps are again, incentivized off of the meeting set. They get a much larger meeting fee uh, when they set the meeting. It's got to show and it's got to be a good fit for it to get paid. They are also tied to the revenue the account executive closes. So they get a percentage off of the deal win as well. They get an actual percentage? They do. Yep. It's a small percentage, but they get, and that, that is really helps strengthen our one-to-one account executive to sales development rep relationship, because now they're both getting commission off of that account. So they're both incentivized to find a really good fit and to work the account really well in tandem. So if the account executive gets stalled, it's in the best interest for them to go back to their SDR and say, hey, I don't have the bandwidth because I'm working all these other accounts, but this is stalled out. Can you get me higher up in the account? Can you get me somebody else? And then so the SDR can go back in and know this is a really good account. We want to win it because I'm going to get paid on it. Okay, so they get, let's say that you create an opportunity and they don't win it. Yep. Still, so they, when they set a meeting, it doesn't, it doesn't matter per se if they, it turns into an opportunity. It could be the right profile, shall we say, but maybe there's not a compelling event to buy it at that point. Yeah, so when we, um, when we reconcile events, we'll call them events, that's a meeting for us. It's on the account executive to one, score that. They give it a one to five scoring. So one is like great fit company and decision maker or somebody that can help me make a purchasing. A two is like a really good fit and a decision maker or a great fit, but an influencer. I've still got a lot of work to do to get to the right person. Three, and it sort of goes down the chain from there. So they market either good fit, which means there was an opportunity. There's an actual opportunity. They market good fit, no opportunity. And so that sort of lets the account executive know, hey, or the SDR, I've got to chase this a little bit later. The account executive gets a little bit notes. And then there's um, bad fit or no show. And so they're not paid on the bad fits or the no shows. They're paid the meeting fees on any of the good fits that took place and showed up. And then they're paid win fees when it becomes one. I'll put a thing back up there. Is there, is there a base incorporated in there? Yeah, they have a yeah, they have a base salary. Both the inbound and outbound. Yes. Yep. Outbounds. Uh, it's pretty close, actually. Yeah, it's it's very close. Outbound because by then you've been with us a little bit longer and you've sort of moved up. You tend to be a, a few thousand more because they've gotten some some bumps along the way. But yeah. You mentioned that you have a one to one AEBR ratio. Is that done geographically? It's not. Uh, we round robin. And this went back to one of the slides earlier where we're talking about account assignment. 
we divided the team into sort of the tier one and major accounts, and then we call it mid-market accounts. And there's a, a grouping of enough accounts in there where when we did the break-off, they were randomly assigned to the different reps. The account executives own the accounts. The SDRs own the contacts because they're typically the ones going after and chasing those. And that was one of the other big things that we really had to change the way we work in Salesforce. Like We were always working off of the lead. Everything was working off of the lead view. And what we ended up finding was we weren't converting them to an oper- you know, to a contact, which means there was a count created, until there was an opportunity. And so we lost all of this insight along the way, and we didn't know who was working what and how much activity was being put into each account. Because leads aren't tied to accounts, we couldn't effectively say that, look, we haven't had success in this account, even though we've made 25 touches. We would have to go, and the SDRs would have to look at every individual lead to see if they were being worked and if somebody else was working them. So that was one of the big shifts that we had to make right away. Start working off of the account and contact view. That's another big suggestion that I would make that we, we learned the hard way because we lost so much visibility. And that's why we've sort of made a lot of these things automated as well so that everything stays at the account view all the way through from when the SDR uncovers something to when the account executive uncovers something to when it becomes customer success, there's no data loss and there's no insight loss into those accounts. Flip My Funnel is on a mission to build the largest and most engaged community of B2B professionals in the world. Join the movement at flipmyfunnel.com. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.